Look, I think medical students are pluripotent um, and like stem cells, they differentiate into weird and wonderful things. And for me, I was fascinated by a lot. So I guess in many of my rotations, uh, I could find something to, to like and enjoy. And thus being a fertility specialist hasn't been just what I've liked to do, but it's also been um, influenced by mentors and people around me. Welcome to the Balanced Medics Handover Podcast. Are you questioning whether medicine is right for you and not sure what to do next? If so, you've come to the right place. This podcast is full of real examples of doctors that have gone down different paths to prove that it's possible to transform your life and that it's never too late. I'm your host, Isabella, the founder of Balanced Medics and a doctor that left clinical medicine. If you're ready to make changes now and live a life more aligned with your own values, coaching could be for you. You don't need to stay stuck. Reach out and see what's possible at balancemedics.com forward slash coaching. And now to the podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Balance Medics Handover Podcast. So this episode, we're speaking with Dr. Violet Q, an ONG consultant specializing in fertility, reproductive endocrinology, and fertility preservation. She is also a a Substack newsletter writer. I'm excited to hear more about her journey and learn about fertility medicine and Substack newsletter writing. Let's hand over to Dr. Violet Q. Hi, how are you? Um, Well, thanks. Thank you so much, Isabella, for having me on your podcast. Thank you so much for giving us your time and being here. Excellent. So can you start by sharing more about your journey and how you got to where you are now? Yeah, definitely. Look, I think medical students are pluripotent um, and like stem cells, they differentiate into weird and wonderful things. And for me, I was fascinated by a lot. So I guess in many of my rotations, uh, I could find something to, to like and enjoy And thus, being a fertility specialist hasn't been just what I've liked to do, but it's also been um, influenced by mentors and people around me um, being accepted, I guess, and and feeling most useful. Uh, As a resident, uh, a senior doctor, um, she told me the saying that about 80% of people will be indifferent to you, 10% of people will hate you no matter what you do, and 10% of people might love you no matter what you do. And look, I think unconditional love and support is probably not the best for personal growth and development. But likewise, being in a situation where no matter what you do, um, you're not really looked upon favourably is also not a great environment either. So um, I've just sort of managed to get to a place where I can be both myself personally and professionally. Uh, I started out as an intern um, in an inner city metropolitan Melbourne uh, major teaching hospital, Uh, but we didn't have ONG. Uh, in that hospital. And I was going to do a medical um, HMO year, uh, but one of the surgeons in my gen surge year as an intern said, actually, you'll be pretty good as a surge HMO. I was like, yeah, sure. So I I did that. Um, And so I got a lot of exposure to a lot of the sort of gen surge subspecialties, um, your breast, endocrine, upper GI, colorectal, and other specialties, ENT, plastics, and whatnot. And look, it wasn't really until I was rotated to a peripheral Um, hospital that had ONG that really changed my life. Um, I was asked to go and review a postpartum woman for abdominal pain. 
So I'm running through my head all the gen surge things, you know, bowel obstruction, um, constipation, pseudo obstruction, all these things. And I saw her, made a management plan. Uh, but then the midwife said to me, I've actually got to go and look at this other lady. Can you look after her baby? I was like, oh, you sure. So it was like, um, like an hour had passed and I was just holding on to this tiny baby and it changed my life. Like I don't know if it was because I wanted to have a baby um, you know, at that time and I think maybe that was what started it, but also because it was such a different world just watching this this birth suite that it was very unfamiliar to me um, having worked in, in, in surgery. So long story short, I ended up applying for a diploma of ONG and found it you know, I was quite useful, you know, um, having um, technical skills, but also being time efficient, but also doing the exam questions. And it said, at what age do women's fertility, you know, drops? And um, I was like, oh, 35, well, I'm, I'm nearly there. So I really, um, so then I applied to the ONG training program, got on, and I had two lots of maternity leave. And throughout that time, you know, before each of my pregnancies, I was really obsessed with fertility. I was like, you know, got to track my cycles, got to measure my LH surge, got to, you know, time what I need to time, um, what investigations do I need if it doesn't work, you know, what extra things. And I think I came into wanting to be a fertility specialist from sort of science background. But now it's really seeing women who, you know, sort of were in my position, you know, trying to figure it all out. And again, just being very, very helpful in that space. Mm. Thank you so much for sharing. It's really interesting as well what that, doctor told you all those years ago of 80% are indifferent, 10% love you, 10% are going to hate you no matter what you do. <laughs> um, so yeah. that's an interesting way of looking at it. Um, and also interesting that you didn't actually have ONG in the teaching hospital you started in, uh, but in the end you were drawn mm. there. Yeah, yeah, uh, mysterious ways. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And going back in time a bit further, what made you choose medicine? Yeah, this question, I think there are individual factors, but I think they can't be removed from societal and familial factors as well. Um, I think, and I do believe that we're all individuals, but I can also see how I might be a stereotype as well. Um, young Asian female who did okay academically and did the what we call in, in Victoria, at least for our VC, Victorian Certificate of Education, the Asian top five, so chemistry, biology, physics, specialist maths and maths methods. And I got you know a really good score and probably the path of least resistance would be to do medicine. And I think that would be something that would make people proud, you know, my family, myself. And, and we would have to wonder why in our society that we think that this makes people proud. Is it because there's privilege, you know, hierarchy, power, success? Um, and I wonder also, because I'm from a Vietnamese refugee background, maybe this really was something that was looked favourably upon. So certainly doing that, doing medicine, whilst I'd love to say it's because, you know, of my head and my hands and, you know, I really felt passionate about it, I just thought it was the right thing to do for myself and to represent my family. Thank you for, for being so uh, honest about that because I do know it can be, especially when you're getting into medical school, no one really says that because that's kind of a thing of, oh, well, we don't want you in then. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, you need to have the right answer. And it is something to reflect on, you know, why is it so favourably looked upon? Uh, why are people encouraged to do it? You know, so it is something to think about because there's so many ways to help people and there's a lot of jobs that are needed. You can't, the whole world can't be doctors either. So it is room for, th uh, food for thought. <laughs> mm. Yeah, absolutely. 
And just to add to that, I don't think I particularly have like a tiger mum. In fact, I more think it was a bit more benign neglect. Oh, you know, Violet will be fine. Um, and because um, there's never been, you know, a doctor in my family and my mum even now can't really say obstetrician um, because of her non-English speaking background. But yeah, she can say all the words. It's all good. Um, I, I guess then, um, yeah, we do live in a system. And I think, you know, to to have said to my parents, actually, I want to do um, a Bachelor of, of Creative Writing um, or, or be music or an artist or a dancer or whatnot would have been quite radical. And so I think there is some sort of um, safety in choosing medicine, law, engineering. That might be a generational thing, um, but certainly um, I, I don't think that any of us exist outside of these systems and and we do need just to to look at them and to look at ourselves Mm. yeah definitely that definitely is important to just be self-aware and have that ability to to reflect and think about things so moving into more about your fertility um specialty so you you touched upon what drew you to the specialty what are the requirements to become a fertility specialist yeah so um it's a long journey. So to start off with, you need to be a obstetrician and gynecologist, which is a training program um, from the Royal Australian College of ONG. Yeah. Um, and it's six years for a reason. It's it's long. And so during that time, um, you would be at your major tertiary hospital, have peripheral hospital, have a rural rotation um, do a certain number of deliveries, instrumental, uh, vaginal, uh, cesarean sections, uh, rotate through um, gynecology, and you may rotate through some of the subspecialties of which reproductive endocrinology and infertility is one of the five. So CREI, as it's known, um, Certificate of REI, stands alongside your, your MFM, Maternal Fetal Medicine, your COGU, which Certificate of Obstetrics, a gynae ultrasound, your um, urogynecology, and also your gynecology oncology. Yeah, for the gynae cancers, and it's pretty rare to be a CREI. So, I would say out of all the Ranscog or Franscogs um, in Australia, about less than one percent uh, have attained the CREI. So that's the the most formal path that you can go towards to be a fertility specialist there are less formal ways of entering and that may be to uh, have a clinical fellowship um, once you finish your general ong in in fertility and that may be at a a public hospital um, potentially at a private ivf center um, go overseas or, or just to work in the fertility space and and then get a practical training that way so for me um, after doing, you know, the, the specialty exams, having my, my children, it was quite the path of least resistance would be to stay at my, my peripheral hospital, become a senior register in, in general ONG, and then eventually become a consultant at my local hospital. But given how interested, how deeply and strongly I felt about fertility and this education and, and letting other people see, you know, with knowledge, you can help yourself have a baby, you know, like you just have to work on it in a way, I thought, why not try to apply for the CREI? And I did. And I was the only one in Australia that year who got on. Now, I really don't know if that was because many people didn't apply, because it's an extra three years of rigorous training, um, logbook, surgical 
assessed procedures, oral um, and written exam, uh, as well as a research project, a publication, uh, peer-reviewed. Or if, if I was very lucky, also that year, uh, there were two uh, trainees from New Zealand who got on. So it was the three of us in that year. And I actually, just anecdotally now, talking to ONG registrars, I think reproduction is becoming very, very popular. And uh, I would encourage that. I think there's a real need uh, for practitioners um, in this space. So in summary, there's a formal training program, um, subspecialty through the College of ONG, but there's also practical ways that people um, get involved as well. Well, I didn't realize how rigorous the training was and how you have to have all those extra requirements and do the extra three years. So thank you for sharing that. And Mm. is there any kind of way of, let's say, a GP with a diploma um, in ONG, could they somehow help with fertility medicine or is it only for people who are part of RANSCOG? Yeah, so that's um, a question that is probably bigger than me. And it's like any job where there is need. I think it's the individual to seek out the opportunity, uh, what they can, um, where they can fit themselves into it. Certainly, um, GP education, you know, with, um, let's say, take ONG as an example, you know, shared care models. So certainly um, having a GP who can do the preliminary investigations and understand you know, the period cycle and, and counsel a woman about her chances, it is a fantastic start. But in terms of formal involvement, that really would be something that an individual may uh, talk to their uh, hospital department of fertility or again to a private fertility unit. Yeah. Okay, great. And what's the typical day-to-day role like in fertility medicine? It's probably like any specialty that there's no typical day, but there's just so much to cover. So I'll um, answer this in two parts. Uh, The first part is a sort of knowledge base. So we've got your reproductive endocrinology, which is knowing all about, you know, the period cycle in the woman, but not at all to forget about the male. So learning all about spermatogenesis and really understanding how to optimize people's um, intrinsic fertility um, and also learning all about the hormone systems of other systems. So um, your prolactin, your adrenals, your cortisol in addition to your ovarian and, and spermatogenesis pathways. But to do answer your question on a very practical level, how that knowledge translates then is in terms of, say, an IVF cycle management. So early in the morning, we'll start early and start doing follicle scans. So really, a average woman um, ovulates one egg per month. But in IVF, for example, we give injections of FSH or follicle stimulating hormone um, to capture the wave of eggs which are around for potential recruitment, um, of which one becomes a dominant follicle, but we're trying to save the rest of them. And um, of course, if we weren't given the FSH, they would just be resorbed in the body. So when we give FSH, we have to monitor the response, and that's the number of follicles which has responded and the size that they have grown. Scan is a transvaginal ultrasound that we do to yep, check where we're going on the path and ultimately to say, yep, we need to give the um, trigger injection for final maturation of the follicles and then go to an egg collection. So the morning would be follicle scans, then moving across to theatre to do the egg collections. They're usually under sedation and with a transvaginal ultrasound and a fine needle uh, under vision, we will um, aspirate the follicles and give uh, that fluid to the embryologist or scientist uh, in theatre and they will collect and sort the eggs. Uh, Then after egg collections, we'd move across to, um, say, day procedure and do embryo transfers. 
generally. Um, embryos are grown to about day five after insemination um, and that stage um, then we'll put them back um, in the uterus and so it's um, a small procedure with a speculum and a very very fine catheter with the embryo they deposit that under vision through a transabdominal ultrasound on top and the catheter from below uh, and place the embryo um, and then people usually have a blood pregnancy test uh, 10 to 14 days later. So now it's probably about lunchtime and if uh, lucky have lunch, if um, we're particularly um, enthusiastic, might do some registrar or fellow teaching, um, particularly now that it's the beginning of a new uh, medical year. We certainly are doing uh, quite a bit of teaching and it's not just for doctors. Um, it'll also be um, for our laboratory staff and also our nursing staff and our counselling staff. So it's a very big multi or interdisciplinary team uh, that's involved in an IVF cycle. Uh, so then now after lunch, it's either uh, most commonly clinic or going to a theatre again. So clinic will be your new patient review patients, um, so new patients who are experiencing primary, secondary infertility or reviews who might have had recurrent miscarriages, recurrent IVF failure uh, or um, or other anatomical anomalies that we may discuss, such as fibroids, um, blocked tubes, um, Asherman syndromes, um, adhesions inside the uterus. So then on another day, let's say um, another afternoon, we would be in theatre doing laparoscopies, excising endometriosis, um, ovarian cysts, uh, checking tubes, um, doing salpingectomies because we know hydrosalpings or swollen tubes can actually decrease for IVF implantation, um, as well as hysteroscopies. Uh, and not to forget male surgery as well. So um, for whatever reason, uh, a man might not have sperm in his ejaculate, uh, we may uh, go forward and recommend a, a needle testicular biopsy or an open testicular biopsy or even a micro uh, microscopic open testicular biopsy. So that would be um, on one of the afternoons in the week. And then after that, if it's a particularly busy day, we might have more meetings um, and we have a range of quality meetings. Um, for example, clinical cases, donor, so um, sperm donor, egg donor, as well as surrogacy meetings, as well as accreditation meetings, because each IVF laboratory uh, in Australia does need to be accredited with RTEC, that's Reproductive Technology um, Accreditation Committee. So uh, each year, just to make sure all our policies, procedures and, and safety manuals are up to date. So pretty busy Yeah, <laughs> uh, during a day and a week. <laughs> that's quite fascinating. And the teamwork is something that really jumps out, all the people involved and uh, very hands-on. So it's not just counselling people. You're, you're in there doing a lot of surgeries and... Um, implantations, all of that. So that's really interesting. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, absolutely. My pleasure. Now, you're also a Substack newsletter writer. What is that? Ah, so I think Substack is uh, just a forum. It's a forum, they say it's for good writing or for good, good reading. And, and it's more, I think, for authors or writers to have a direct uh, communication with their audience. Um, it's a very clean backdrop you get to choose maybe one color or a couple of fonts but really it's a, a text-based medium that I think is a little bit protected from the constant attention grab of social media um, and so for me I think uh, I, I try to use it as a sort of long-form journalism uh, to talk about what I think are interesting or hot topics in fertility. Mm. Okay, so do you mainly write about fertility medicine? Yes. So the goal I put for myself this year is to, and it's going to be a plug, to do my freeze fertility um, newsletter on Substack. 
uh, which is about fertility, uh, the universe and everything. And each month I'll talk about a topic. So my first one in January was about what is an IVF cycle, which I've gone through a little bit um, today. But also, you know, in February, it was about egg and egg freezing. And my next one, which is coming up later in March, uh, will be about sperm and male health. Actually, quite interestingly, there's been an updated meta-analysis that shows that male sperm concentrations declining um, across all continents of which data has been collected. And so it's really a bit controversial, but also sets the stage to really discuss how important it is to look after our health. And that fertility isn't just by itself in isolation, but that poor fertility parameters can be associated with significant morbidity and mortality. So just to put fertility in sort of a social continuum, you know, I've got topics for the rest of the year. Uh, and we'll just see where that leads us in terms of writing 750 to 1,000 words each month on fertility. Yeah, how interesting. <laughs> and also, I, I think I didn't realise how involved um, it, you are with men as mm. well. I don't know. I just did, actually didn't really realise mm, that. Mm, mm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and that's exactly um, what, as a um, reproductive endocrinologist and infertility specialist, would like to to get the message across. I mean, the latest ANZA, so that's Australian New Zealand assisted reproductive database every year they publish data on all the IVF cycles that happen uh, in our two countries Australia and New Zealand and the most recent data said that a third of IVF cycles are for male factor infertility so we really need to serve this population better and that really poor semen analyses are actually linked with cardiovascular disease with uh, risks of um, certain cancers and whatnot so really to uh, state that fertility isn't just a female issue. Uh, neither really is, sort of feminist standpoint, you know, pregnancy, child rearing, you know, all that. It, it's really a societal issue for for all, you know, genders, people, whatnot. Mm. Yeah, definitely. How interesting. Well, yeah, I, I need to take a look at your at your blog and have a read of these. I'm I'm oh, looking forward to it. And and how did you get involved in writing on this blog? And and how. Can you tell us more about your writing journey? Yeah, sure. Look, uh, one of the things I have to say, as I've already said, I think, I like encouragement. I really like thinking, yes, I'm doing a good job. This is the way because, you know, there's so many ways to, to to craft a life. So in year 12, I won the Burundara Literature Award uh, for um, senior prose. So as a year 12 student. And apart from my VC, that was like the biggest thing ever. Um, I got to read my story, which was about, which was about the Immigration Museum, actually, uh, and that my my parents had put our name down to be on the Immigration Museum uh, Remembrance Wall, whether our family had fallen in, in Vietnam or whatnot. And just seeing our name was, you know, was essay was essay worthy for me. And, and then talking about my grandmother, but anyway, um, it won this award, and that was great. And I read I read this essay uh, at the Hawthorne Town Hall, and afterwards, I got this this woman came up to me, and she's middle aged brown hair she said oh I read your essay to my year eight kids I'm like oh my god how many kids and she goes there are about 16 of us I was like 16 people have read have heard my essay and I was just blown away by that that just something that I thought of could be shared so that's how I got involved in writing and sort of continued so yeah so the writing I do like to do is about sort of intersectional identity um, personal essays probably a bit of feminism in there as well but the reality has been, you know, having program, doing a subspecialty training program, I haven't really had the opportunity to write so much. So I guess my hybrid um, for me is to do my fertility uh, newsletter and then maybe one day 
uh, get back to my personal essays. Oh, that's so great. So you started writing a long time ago and you're kind of combining the two interests at the moment. Um, that leads me on to my next question. How do you juggle this writing and your job in fertility medicine? It sounds super busy. <laughs> yeah, so your podcast is called The Balanced Medic and I just have to say that balance is probably different for everyone and I am very energised by what I do now. I just don't know how <laughs> how balanced it is, but I, I steal time wherever I can after I put the kids to bed, wake up in the morning, and it takes a village. Like, um, you know, I have other people help with kid drop-ups, pick-ups, you know, coordinate my husband, my mum, my dad, my sister, but also, yeah, um, paid nannies to, to help with care. And, and that's how I, the time I can back for myself. Yeah, thank you for sharing. And and it is called The Balanced Medics Podcast. So that's my next question to you. What is balance to you? Yeah, um, freedom <laughs> to do what you want to and not be part of someone else's vision for you whether that be your college, your hospital, your parents, your partner, you know, society, you know, the man, the patriarchy. So it's just being you. And I do think it is a balance between activity and reflection. And, you know, right at this point, this moment, I am being more active than I have in the last few years where I had to, you know, I was in a public hospital system um, doing uh, doing fertility running 1,200 cycles with um, the other fellow, the international fellow, during lockdown when um, people weren't allowed to have their patients in, uh, so patients weren't allowed to have their partners in for embryo transfers. You had this sort of pivotal moment where they're potentially getting pregnant with their child. And it was very, um, it's not very heavy, you know, in Melbourne with our six lockdowns and, you know, very sterile hospital environments. And, and so, now I'm getting really active doing all this creative stuff that I just haven't had the freedom to do before, but I am mindful like at what, you know, what pace is sustainable. Uh, and so, yeah, I think balance is also saying yes, but also saying no. Um, and for me at this stage, it's being in a flow state where I'm not bored, but also not overwhelmed. And uh, that's why with my writing, I didn't want to write a blog post weekly or fortnightly. I thought monthly, you know, it's like a period, comes every month. <laughs> I think I can probably <laughs> write something every four weeks. Um, but we'll reassess. We'll reassess at the year mark to see how sustainable it is and, and to see where it takes me if it morphs into a form of writing or contributing uh, to the wider education of fertility for men and women and, and all people. I, I like that it's monthly. It's very uh, fits with the theme, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I try to keep it regular. <laughs> we'll see if it becomes irregularly spaced. I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> now is there anything else you'd like to add that you think would benefit the listener yeah actually I do have something in the last few minutes um if your audience is mainly doctors trying to figure out who they are and what's their what's their flow state I really do want to talk about fertility uh for doctors and I guess busy professionals but doctors specifically and you may have heard um, last year in 2022, there was a, um, a, a very um, well-publicised survey of more than a 1,000 doctors that showed a third of them, a third of Australian female doctors had, had suffered a miscarriage, that half had had a, a, a pregnancy complication and nearly a third had had IVF. And in fact, this really echoes um, similar surveys done in the, the USA as well. 
And it really goes to show that being a doctor, but particularly being a female doctor of which maternal age really influences the quality and quantity of your eggs, that in sleep deprivation exams, you know, poor nutrition, lack of exercise, demands of training, exams, you know, moving around for different rotations, you know, not being able to meet a partner or to meet a partner at the right time. It's, it's fertility um, really needs to be thought about uh, by all people. But I also think young doctors as well, like, yes, it's great to have a career path, but really, um, and there's only, I'd like to end with one paper that was quite famous in 2015. And I can send you some of these links if you want to put them up. And I may also put them up in my Substack at some time, maybe in a coming month, that was um, published in Human Reproduction that was talked about at what age um, you need to contemplate having children to reach your ideal family size. And the stats that they did after modelling over like 10,000 sort of couples and all these large data points was that if you're someone who may turn to IVF in the future, if needed, for a 90% chance of one child, you can start trying to have children at the age of 35. But if you want a 90% chance of two children, start at 31. And a 90% chance of three children, start at 28. And I'm going to tell you, like medical training, most people don't finish med school, intern, residency, registrar, fellowship, <laughs> marriage, mortgage, you know, by 28 if they want three kids. And the stats were even more alarming if, like, if people were not did not ever want to consider IVF. If you wanted one child, they said you need to start thinking at 32, two children, 27, and three children at 23. I just, the mind boggles in terms of what the stats show and what the reality shows of the difficulties that some female doctors experience. Um, in in their fertility later on, and that both in America and Australia, uh, the uh, average age for a first baby for an Australian female doctor, sorry, was about thirty two years, whereas um, in sort of population um, in America it was about twenty seven years. So you can see that there's different time shifts and and demands on time. So that's what I'd like your listeners to think about: how to, if you want to consider fertility, how to plan that in your life. And um, while I'm not going to harp on it, that other and maybe debatable topics include things such as egg freezing. Where does that fit in? Is it helpful for doc- female doctors to consider it? Or is it also part of the problem by kicking the fertility problem down the road? I think it's a bit of both. I think um, it's a tool that one can use um, without sort of blaming the technology um, for sort of society's busyness mm. wow so there's a lot to think about maybe we can do another episode on, on <laughs> fertility like should you egg freeze should what should we do because i'm 28 on saturday and i'm like oh <laughs> <Happy> birthday <laughs> yeah yes um if uh you want to have me back i <laughs> and time permits sure you have other guests with different viewpoints and so yeah happy for it to be sometime down the road as well yeah I'd, I'd love to I think it because I think that's a whole episode in itself <laughs> and it is something that you don't get taught in medical school about obviously about this part of things um so I think it's something to to think about and be aware you know when should you start considering freezing eggs um should you is it an option for you and all, all that so yeah let's let's do it before before we wrap up the recording uh how can people find you how can people find your blog um, I'll put this all in the show notes too. Perfect. Thank you. So um, on Instagram, so it's Dr. Violet Q, K-A-U, or uh, at You've been listening to the Balanced Medics Handover podcast. I've got my podcast. website, 
www.wwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwwww